Hi everyone, Mayor John Stevens here, and this is Costa Mesa Now. On episode four, my guest host, Councilmember Manuel Chavez and I, welcome Newport Mesa Unified School District Superintendent, Dr. Wesley Smith onto the podcast. And we began an in-depth discussion about some of the important challenges facing educators today. In this follow-up two-part episode, we continue that discussion with Dr. Smith and dive even deeper into a number of topics ranging from the importance of early education to challenges brought about by the pandemic to the ongoing controversy surrounding CRT. As you will soon hear, Dr. Smith addresses each of these topics head on and gives us a glimpse at the good stewardship our students and their parents here in Costa Mesa experience under his thoughtful guidance and leadership. So we have a group in Costa Mesa. It's called the Costa Mesa Early Childhood Coalition. And we've uh, 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 passed a resolution at the city council to support the group. There's some folks from the district Mm -hmm. that are there um, that are on that. Uh, Arliss Reynolds and I have been involved in the early stages. Um, So talk about the importance of early childhood Mm -hmm. education, zero to five, uh, kindergarten readiness. And I mean, you've been around education for so long. I'd love it if people that listen to this podcast can get your perspective on the importance of that phase of a child's life and what they can do to... um, to, to uh, enhance early childhood education for their children. Yeah, what, a, what an important topic. Uh, there are no years more important than zero to third grade, right? The research is clear that if we have a well-adjusted student who can read by third grade, that they're exponentially more likely to not only finish high school, but to enroll in a complete college if they so choose, or to complete a pathway and become a, employable upon completion of that pathway. Um, and so we know that it's important, but we also know that not everyone has the same opportunities and access mm-hmm. to resources birth through third grade. Um, in those homes where families uh, read books uh, to their students, uh, their vocabulary, thousands and thousands of words more they have when, when they get to us. Um, families, uh, both parents have to work, uh, and so someone else is caring for the child. Um, Uh, They don't have nannies, they don't have tutors, they're not in private preschool. Um, And so they come to us with uh, gaps. Right. And one would say, well, it's a gap in learning. Mm -hmm. It's really a gap in access and opportunity because both students, right, are just as capable, just as smart, right? Someone's not smarter because they live in a different area code Mm -hmm. because they have two parents who went to college and they can afford a tutor, right? Their, their access and their opportunities were different. So the school system then uh, can play a role in that. The state's been working hard for the last several years to prioritize early childhood education. This governor, whether people like him or his politics or not, not, not the point of bringing it up. The point is that this is an area of focus for his administration and they've invested money in that. Now we have um, universal TK, uh, which is early kinder, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like a preschool for all, although there are different programs, but just so people can kind of understand what we're talking about. 
to get them sooner so that they're prepared by kinder, mm -hmm. they're prepared for first, and all students, right? Mm -hmm. Universal. The challenge for us is that the state looks at a community-funded district like us and says, you don't need our help. Mm -hmm. And so they've really set up this inequitable system where um, they're going to fund everybody in the state for this universal TK, except for districts like ours. So we've been working with some um, advocacy firms. Uh, we've been contacting uh, our elected officials to say at the state level, this is not okay. It's discriminatory. Right. To set up a system mm -hmm. where some get funded and others don't because you assume something about us that's not true. Something that people don't understand about Newport Mesa Unified is they say, well, hey, Newport Beach, well-to-do, Costa Mesa, well-to-do, as I said, destination place. Try buying a home, as we mm -hmm. talked about earlier in this conversation, in Costa Mesa. Not easy, right? We have more Title I schools than any other community-funded district in the state of California. What in other words, Title I school, yeah. low socioeconomic status. So when you look at the socioeconomic status of those schools, of those families, um, they need more of these services to narrow that gap. We have more of those schools mm -hmm. than any other. And so we're making this case at the state level because, like you've identified, there's nothing more important than that early childhood education. And it's about reading, for sure, mm -hmm. but it's about relationships and understanding how to interact with others and in this system. It gives them access to the system. Sure, and, and it's the, the, the thing that um, is the, the worst part of, of the early childhood education when people go bad is when the kids either have neglect, suffer from neglect, or suffer from trauma. And the effect that the trauma and the neglect can have actually physiologically yeah. in a child's brain. Um, and the interesting thing, a part of the funding aspect that you mentioned is that has nothing to do with the value of someone's home. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the funding of the school district. There are, yeah. I, would, I would say that there are uh, students, and it has little, very little to do with the money that you have, although there is a point that if you have to work harder, you have to be away, then you're more subject to having an issue where you're not around, you know, yeah. for your younger children. But uh, you could have somebody who's very rich and neglects their kids, yeah. or, or somebody, uh, you know, at Newport Coast whose children are exposed to trauma, and by the same token, you know, somebody who lives in a, in a apartment and they've got their abuela taking care of mm -hmm. them, you know, and, and it's a very loving environment where they're very nurturing and, yeah. and, and it's just there's no connection between money and taking care of a young child. That's right. Well, and you've just hit on something there that um, if, if the, the country better understood and believed that, we'd be in such a better place. Um, when we talk about inequities, right, people, their antenna go up. Oh, you can't talk about equity. That, that's a liberal agenda. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. No, if you want to try to weaponize the language, that's on you. I'm, I'm not going to stand for that. Equity is every student gets what they need, when they need it, where they need it. Now, tell me where that agenda falls in the political paradigm, right? right. It, it doesn't. Every student, what they need, when they need it, where they need it. That's what equity is about. So what are those inequities? And to your point, 
There are students in every part of our community, the wealthiest of all families, have some of those needs, sure. mental health needs, right? The pressure for some of those families, for their students to go to the right college, uh, the pressure that the students put on themselves yeah. uh, to, to live up to the expectations of, of a well-resourced community, that's a lot of pressure. So there are inequities there because they need some of those mental health services that you just mentioned, more maybe than another. The trauma that you were saying a second ago, trauma, needs, um, those aren't constrained or confined to one demographic, right? Not one income band, not one race, not one language. All of us have diverse needs and it's our job in the school to address those inequities, to make sure that every student, every day, no excuses, right? So let me ask you about this. So the, one of the greatest educators in the Newport Mesa area, really in the Costa Mesa area, is uh, that I know of, it was at a private school, Sister Vianney. Mm. I don't know if you ever heard stories no. about Sister no, Vianney. No, this is a new one. So Sister Vianney was the principal of St. John the Baptist, um, you know, over on Baker, right down the street from where, uh, where you work there. And uh, she was the principal there for over 40 years. And uh, so my kids went all the way through St. John the Baptist. And the first time I ever laid eyes on her, uh, and I, I had this you know, idea, she's a Catholic nun, principal, you know, where's the ruler, right? The ruler's gonna come <laughs> right, out right. at some point in time. She's gonna whip it out. And so I was a kindergarten parent, and I went to the, my first parent-teacher conference, and she says, in her Irish brogue, and I'm not gonna attempt to do the Irish brogue, but she says, don't be so hard on your children. They're trying their hardest. Wow. They'll get it. Be patient with your children. We're working hard with your children. They're trying. Be patient. Yeah. Okay. Um, I and, and 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 so I want you to speak to that. Is should we have more patience with our children? But also the other thing is this idea of resilience. What I see today is this. I see at the highest levels of the students in terms of the, the highest achievers, they're expected to get an A every single time. If they get a B, it's a crushing failure, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. So we're, how do we teach our ki ch children to be patient with learning and also to understand that anything worth doing is worth failing at it first and and then getting better over time um, how, how do we bring these concepts in to, to teach the kids as opposed to just saying I want an a uh, you know I want I want you to bring home that report card yeah it's an interesting question because you know far be it for me to tell parents how to parent of course right? I mean I believe strongly that um, you're the parent your, your choice about the schools uh, that you want to attend, you want to attend a private school and you think that's best for your child, um, you want to have this college-going mindset and all of that, um, how you get after that is, is really a, a personal decision. But I would say that you said a couple of things that are really important. Um, to be understanding, to be compassionate with our students. Uh, that's huge. So that they know we love and care about them, uh, that they know that they're safe, in our homes and as they uh, pursue their futures, that helps a ton. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can speak to how I've approached it as an educator who's a father, right? For us, the pressure was only this, uh, to be yourself and to be selfish in your education. 
My wife would always struggle with that. She'd say, that's, that's a negative word, selfish. But it's a lesson I'm trying to teach them. What I say is, uh, it's not about the grades you get. It's not about the school you want to get into. It's about what you're learning that day. Be selfish. Because that knowledge, that information, is something no one can take from you. Mm -hmm. Think about your needs. This is about you. It's not about pleasing me. It's not about pleasing that teacher. This is about you and learning and understanding and growing, right? And if, and if that's where they are every day, at the end of it, they'll be where they need to be. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so I think it's focusing on the here and now, really leaning into their growth, uh, allowing them to fail. A lot of good research on transformational teams, and one of the aspects of transformational teams is they allow for failure. Now, we can't allow our kids to fail on some, um, some things, like uh, protecting their lives. Sure. Can't, can't do that, right? Can't let them fail on those things that harm them. But as it relates to school and a lesson, and uh, I've done poorly uh, on assignments before, and, and here I am sitting here talking to the two of you trying to make a difference for 18,000 kids. Yeah. You know, I didn't go to Harvard. Right. I, I didn't go to an Ivy League school. Um, I went to a, a college that had a four-year degree, and I used that to go on to graduate school and didn't go to the most prestigious there. But I learned at every turn so I could make a difference in the field. And that's what's allowed me to be here and to serve at the state level. I mean, to work in a prestigious district like this. And yet, I didn't go to a lot of the colleges that our kids are going to go to in this district. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's about what you learn, right? Mm -hmm. So valuing that with our students. Um, and so that's what we focused on. And, you know, I had one that went to UCI, and she's in medical school. One that went to junior college for a while, because that was best for her. Then she went to Fullerton. Now she's running marketing communications for a school district statewide. Um, my son is in first year of Chicago College Performing Arts, following his dream there. You know, so uh, it, it certainly can work and work differently. Uh, but that's the focus that we've had. But I think, let's come back to what you said, accepting, nurturing, loving, caring for, safety. That's what has to be there so that students can be resilient with regard to their expectations, family expectations, community expectations. Yeah. No, it's really beautiful you mentioned that because I, I see a lot of my, my parents teaching with, within me and my sister. By the way, she's 13, um, currently a grader at, at, uh, at the Winkle. Um, but one thing my parents always, always kind of instilled in me was like a lot of times when someone comes from an immigrant background, Families kind of impose on them, saying, "Hey, you should be a lawyer. Hey, you should be a doctor. You know, these jobs that are prestigious um, to you know, you know, folks that come from other countries. I want to be able to prepare a life." And my mom and my dad were very unique. They told me, "We don't care what you do. We just want you to do good in school." And you know, I think that's very reflective of my major at UCI. I went to UCI. I, I began as political science, thinking I'd become a lawyer. Uh, took a class for religion. Ended up liking it. Ended up double majoring in religion and political science, but that unique experience gave me the background that I think fueled me for this position in city council. Which is, when you're majoring in religion, you realize you really can't change you can't change someone's philosophy or mindset. Mm. You can only understand it, and and it, it taught me how to show empathy to those that I may disagree with. And I use this as an example to kind of segue to my little sister, because as we try to impart the same knowledge onto her. I also see the difference that she's experiencing at her school at Tewinkle than I did. Mm. I feel like she has a lot more pressure put upon her. Um, and I, I've, 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 had, I've had to find myself telling her, hey, it's okay to get a C in math. It's okay to, to not get the material. But, what, but what's not okay is you're not asking for help. Mm. Maybe with your teachers or with 
the counselors or with tutoring at, at Save Our Youth. Um, and that's why I think a big thing we impart in our children because as these college applications and the stress to get into a good college gets bigger and bigger and bigger, we have to remember that they're kids, mm -hmm. that, that they're gonna have so little time in their lives to really explore and find what their joy is. And we can't be putting them in a box saying, hey, you need to do good grades and only good grades. Yeah. Um, and one thing I will share is I think our district's done a really good job of giving our students more opportunities. I, I know she has a lot more options for electives than I did when I was at Tewinkle, and that's a good thing. And I know looking at Estancia High School, there's more pathways for students there as well. And I love the fact that we have alternative pathways that aren't uh, UCI or UC or Cal State focused because I had friends in high school that were really good with their hands, but mm -hmm. they weren't given the chance to work with their hands. Yeah. And now we have those pathways for them. So. Yeah, that's right. Well, and like I said, the, the non-negotiables should be that the system doesn't choose for you, right? That, like your friends, uh, that they should have had the opportunity if they wanted to go to college to choose to go to college. But if they wanted a pathway, they should be able to choose that as well, right? Because they're both important and both viable and both necessary uh, in our system. But students should have choice. Uh, and that's what the system has to provide. And then I think, like you said, Estancia and other the, throughout the district, I mean, this is a priority for the board about making sure that students have multiple pathways to realize their dreams, because their dreams are theirs, not ours. Systems shouldn't be choosing the dreams for them. So uh, we're, we spent a lot of time. I just, there's a couple things I think people will be interested in, in hearing about, because they're obviously like super topical. I mean, yeah. And it's like, if we didn't cover these, we'd be kicking ourselves. The Lakers okay. and their coaching search, is that <laughs> what? The, the, <laughs> or the, or the no-hitter the no last night, did you hear about No, that? I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, the, the Angels, uh, uh, Reed Detmers got a, a, a no-hitter oh. last night. It was unbelievable. You coach baseball, right? I used to. My dad coached for, my mom married that eighth grade year when we finally stayed in the same school, a teacher. They've been married ever since. So from then on, this, this amazing man raised me. He coached baseball for 44 years. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was his, probably his worst decision. He brought me up as a sophomore to the varsity team and I just hit, hit O for almost the whole season. So. <laughs> you met, you met, you mentioned foot. You mentioned football. I got to tell this funny story. You mentioned football earlier, and you were a quarterback. And so, uh, the first time I ever even saw your name, and this is a tie into our last podcast. We had Mario Morovic here from. He owns the Wild Goose in different oh, places. Yeah. Ever yeah. been to the Wild Goose? I have been there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sitting with my wife at and the, Playa Mesa, yeah, right he next owns door. Playa Mesa, right? and also yeah. the Country Club. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he sat in that chair right where you're at right now last week. So anyway, so I'm, I'm sitting with Amy, and we're, we're watching the very first game of the last football season. It was the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Cowboys on September 9th. And we're just sitting around, and I should be talking to my wife, but instead I was kind of flipping through the phone, as we said, and I say, oh, my gosh, we've got a new superintendent. September 9th is when the thing dropped. So while we're so while we're at uh, um, at at wild goose watching the football game we're reading all about you <laughs> and we're talking about you and we're like who is this guy you know <laughs> it's a short read <laughs> yeah yeah no it was great because we were we did mention that thing i said earlier which is oh he comes from uh Pal, you know palo alto uh, morgan hill and there's a lot of high expectations of the students there yeah. and so He's going to come in and he, 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 
our, our thinking when we read your bio was you'll be prepared for the high expectations that you're going to see in, at Newport Mesa. Yeah. And I'm so, glad you didn't tell me he was sitting in this seat before I sat here because I've, I've met him. Yeah. Uh, tall, yeah. well-dressed, really good-looking. That would have been too much pressure for me. Yeah. I would have asked Manny to switch seats yeah. with me and take just a little off. So thanks yeah. for not mentioning that. We had that. Jeff Chan sitting here, you know, Tabu Shabu, and Oak and Cole. Okay. So, by the way, I was going to ask, so what are some of the restaurants you like now that you're in? in I'll, I'll tell you, Playa Mesa is great. There are others that I've gone to really good. The, the, the one that I, that I probably um, like the most, but because of what they do in the community, really, uh, is Newport Rib, which is in Costa Mesa. Sure, we yes. Know, right? Um, just the other day, they gave 4,500 meals to nurses. Yes. Right? They give um, meals to 40 or 50 kids at a school in our district and a promotion they do. I had a buddy that said during the pandemic, when families were struggling to be able to get access to food, they did pop-up restaurants mm -hmm. and would let people just come out and get food. I just love um, an entity like that that's giving back to the community. And then, you know, I, I love barbecue, so yeah. it's, it's a win-win. The ribs just fall off the bone. Yeah. And, and when you go there, if you ever go there for lunch, get the prime rib sandwich. It's like one of the best things you'll ever, you'll ever eat. Well, since my heart attack, I haven't had uh, red meat in six years since I oh, had really? my heart attack oh, wow. and cardiac arrest. But, you know, like white meat, chicken, pork, if it's, if it's not fried, that kind of thing. So I, they're pulled pork and they're chicken. I stick to that. But I'll tell you. Uh, I can only imagine how good it would be because uh, everything has been has been it's great. Just the best. Your Sini family too are the just the yeah, best. yeah. Great community. Seeing them at a ton of events. Another yeah. thing, they're there. They're in the community. They're serving. They're not hawking their wares. They're just giving back without asking for anything. And I think that's that's more than impressive. It's inspiring. Okay, so those yeah. were not the two things. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we, to, to the actual thing. It's so easy to get us <laughs> off track. Um, anyhow, so. I want to talk about about the pandemic, yeah. right? I mean, and and how you know how how what, where we're at. And I also want to talk. The next topic is this whole CRT uh, controversy. Yeah. And then, unless there's other um, other things people want to say, we can shut it. We can shut it down. Yeah. Um, do some parting shots. Sure. But so the pandemic. I mean, obviously, it's been a was a huge disruptor. For the education system, you kind of came in in the not maybe the middle, but two thirds of the way, or who knows, into yeah. the pandemic. So, how where are we at right now in terms of adjusting to getting back, and what's what is kind of the legacy and the hangover, if you will, of the of the pandemic on students today? Yeah, important for us to to recognize that we're still mm -hmm. in it. Right. If we pretend that we're not, um, you know, Stockdale syndrome, right? Uh, we're going to be even more depressed when we realize tomorrow that it's still out there. So thank you for, you know, bringing us to that. You know, nothing has been, and this is what educational researchers have, have been landing on um, recently, that nothing has been more disruptive in the history of American public education than the pandemic, including the Civil War, wow. uh, World War II. 9-11. This was the only thing that shut down every school in every state for an extended period of time, right? 
So it's traumatic for our youth, it's traumatic for our families and our community members that didn't know how they're going to find food or necessities like toilet paper and we laugh about that but it's not funny, right? I mean yeah. families didn't know where they were going to find what they needed to survive. So the kids are traumatized, their, their parents are traumatized, the adults who are supposed to be dealing with that trauma are traumatized. So you've got those traumatized dealing with the trauma mm -hmm. of our youth and our community. Disruptive. So what, what did we find you know, throughout the pandemic? Um, we found that there, there were gaps, certainly. People say there was learning loss. It's, it's a misnomer. How do you lose something you didn't have? They right. didn't have the learning. They didn't lose anything. Mm -hmm. uh, they lost some opportunities. So I like to talk about gaps, learning gaps, uh, social gaps, uh, because there's a gap in what they would have known had that learning not have been disrupted right, the in-person instruction for 18 months, whatever it was for the student year or so, right, depending upon the system that they were in. So we have to address those gaps and how do we then enhance learning? Um, how do we enrich learning so that we can uh, expeditiously narrow that gap, eliminate that gap? Expanding learning opportunities is one thing that we're doing before school, after school, intercession, and not more of the same. Not just drill and kill, you know, mm -hmm. right. but different, right? Engaging, enriching activities, a place for our students. So our district is really highly invested in expanding learning opportunities for our students. Um, there's also the social side, and this is one that threw people off. What they found is that sometimes the gaps weren't as extreme. Right, like the literacy gaps in, in a lot of communities around the state weren't as large as they anticipated because students were reading books. They were at home, mm. right. they were reading their books, or they're online reading, reading whatever they're reading. I guess TikTok, you don't read, you just watch. But whatever <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, reading, yeah. they were reading. Yes. Okay? Um, and so the gaps weren't as large there. They were a little larger in numeracy, math, because they didn't have that instruction. And math concepts are, are challenging, right, yeah. without that. Uh, teacher, that, that instructional leader helping you. But the, the, the bigger gap was the social gap. They forgot how to behave in groups, mm -hmm. how to play. Um, and if you forgot how to play and how to be in a group and you're traumatized, you think about the, the overall effect of that. And so that's something that school districts all around the state and here in Newport Mesa, they've been uh, working on quite a bit. How do we re-socialize the students? How do we deal with that trauma? And we've talked a lot about that today. Um, but, you know, there, there were some silver linings as well. You know, we learned the power of relationships. Uh, Pedro Noguera, Linda Darling Hammond found in, in some of the work they're doing that we, we had to, out of necessity, learn more about our students. Uh, the teachers are zooming into their homes, are seeing their homes, mm, right. seeing their families, they ask questions. Hey, who was that? I've got a brother. His name is so-and-so. Yes. They're learning about their students. The teacher was zooming in from wherever they were zooming in. Students learned more about them. People had to care more because if we didn't care more, the system was going to fail. Mm -hmm. And educators across the country said, we're not going to let it fail. Educators in our community said, we're not going to let it fail. Right? So the relationships matter. And that's a silver lining we can't forget. As I tell our team, if we forget the lessons learned, shame on us. That's ignorance, mm -hmm. right? We've got to remember the lessons learned. And one of those lessons is the power of relationships. Another one is that we can connect differently, right? We don't always have to be in person. There are some things we can do virtually. I think about parent-teacher conferences, for example. Now, when you're 
K or pre-K, one, two, three. You want to be in there and see the classroom and see what right. the student's doing. You just want to trust the system. It takes some years, but I'll tell you, even as an educator, you know, as my kids got older, I'm telling my wife, honey, I'm working. You know, it's like, oh, you got to show we support our kids. I, we do, but I know what that teacher's going to say. I know that teacher. Our other kid had that teacher. I've mm -hmm. heard this three times now, yeah. but I show up right now. What if we could have a Zoom? Sure. I don't have to race in because I was working. I don't have to race in and maybe drive a, a little over the speed limit to get there. Yeah. I can zoom in and we can connect and I can see that teacher and they can share the work. We can have that conversation. So there are ways to connect now that we didn't have um, real strong efficacy in before. Now we do. That's a silver lining. We have to apply that moving forward. And then I think the thing that we have to be careful of is that expectation. You know, that Stockdale paradox, right, from, uh, I think Jim Collins, the good to great, talked about that, mm -hmm. where if we expect to get out tomorrow and we don't get out tomorrow, that's bad. But it was, okay, I didn't get out today, but I'm going to get out by Thanksgiving, and then I'm going to get out by Christmas. And that, those were the, the soldiers uh, who were prisoners of war who took their own lives. Right. Right? If you didn't put that expectation, you just said, hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to survive this hour. Sure. Right? And then the next hour. Uh, and then you look back and say, hey, I did that, right? Sure. That those people survived. And, and so how does that relate? Well, you know, a year ago when we came out of coming back to school, we had the hybrid. We came back uh, in that hybrid. Uh, and we said, you know, the next school year, it looks like we're going to start in person. Mm -hmm. Everything is going to be back to normal. We're going to wear masks because mm -hmm. that's the mandate, right? Uh, and, you know, what's interesting is that people then embrace that. They're like, hey, if I can put a mask on my student and send him to school, they were more than happy to do that. They would have put two masks sure. on their students to get them back to in-person instruction, right? right? And they felt like it's going to be back to normal. And then this year came, mm -hmm. and we saw a lot of the same kinds of threats, uh, the winter surge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. uh, our board had a, had a goal that you've heard them speak to. Uh, we're going to keep our classrooms open every day, all day, all year. That's our focus. And it got close. Sure. during the winter surge because students uh, were ill, uh, staff members were testing positive and ill, substitutes were, were testing positive and ill. To keep every classroom open was near impossible, but we did it. We only had to combine two PE classes once. Wow. Otherwise, wow. we kept every classroom open. Administrators, support staff, people went into the classrooms, we kept them open. But that, I think, really shook people because they were like, doggone it, I thought this year is going to be different, mm. right? And it's not. So I think this year is harder on folks than the last year because they expected otherwise right. and it didn't happen. So I think we've got to be careful now and we've got to say we are where we are and where we are right now is a good place. And we don't know what's going to happen next as much as some people would like to say, well, let's just make some proclamations about what's next. We don't know. Let's focus on where we are. Let's focus on uh, high quality instruction every day, whole child supports, meeting the needs of every student. Let's just do that every day and let's not worry about next year because I think we have to be careful um, that we don't set ourselves up for saying, you know, we're not wearing masks now, so everything is better. Mm -hmm. um, it is better, um, but is everything and will it always be? Mm -hmm. So I think those, th that's the thing we have to guard against now, our own expectations. Let's just be present. Yeah. You mentioned uh, CRT. Yes, of course. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. And, and, and you know, it's funny because it's 
Because people are talking yeah, about this yeah, so much. And, yeah. and and CRT, for people who don't know, it stands for critical race theory. Yeah, yeah. And my understanding of it is critical race theory is basically just either an upper division college or law school curriculum that doesn't really touch primary or secondary yeah. education. Yeah. But it still has... You talk about things being politicized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like it has been politicized, and that is something that's hitting school board uh, meetings more certainly than we don't hear much of it at the city council. So, yeah. So how lucky? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so what's so what's yeah. going from from the Newport Mesa perspective? Uh, let's talk about it. Let's yeah. what what type of of like community feedback or heat have you gotten and what's what's the what's true and false about crt yeah no and you know it's an important question it's not an easy one because of how passionately some people feel about it and you know um, how biased they are about the information they receive and what i mean by that is this you know you say crt is a controversy it's it's not a an educational controversy because we don't do it it's a political controversy, right? It's right. been politicized. Critical race theory was, of course, taught in law school. And it was looking at systemic racism and the impact of systemic racism on policy and law. That's where this whole thing comes sure. from. Uh, that is never taught. Uh, any of those elements of, of CRT that I just mentioned, those aren't taught in our schools. None of our teachers are trained in CRT. Mm -hmm. uh, critical race theory is, is not in any of our textbooks. It's not in any of our state standards, uh, nor, nor will it be. It, to your point, you hit the nail on the head. It is um, a law school, a higher ed course where they investigate that. That's not what we do. And the challenge is that um, people won't agree to that definition, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because they're told, uh, and I've heard activists say this, I've seen it in, in documents. Um, you don't have to define critical race theory, that's not your burden. Just say that anything you don't like is critical race theory. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that becomes a problem. It's hard to have uh, a productive conversation for the betterment of our system and our students if your definition is anything I don't like is critical race theory mm -hmm. because it's going to stop you from doing the work. I mentioned equity a while back. That's one where people say, oh, equity, that's critical race theory. No, I've, I've got to disagree. Uh, the word equity precedes critical race theory by many, many years. Mm -hmm. It was a Republican president that said, and no child left behind, this system is to address the inequities in public education. And we've identified that inequities aren't based on race, right. critical race theory. Uh, they're based on needs that students have. All students have them. Uh, our wealthiest students have them. Our Caucasian students have them. All students have needs. The inequities then are how we meet their diverse needs, right? But people want to take that word and say it means this. We've talked a lot today about social emotional learning, whole child supports. There are those folks that would say, oh, social emotional learning is critical race theory. I'd scratch my head again and say, I can't agree to that definition. Um, Whole child support is a true education, 
Maslow over Bloom is something that people have talked about for years and years and years. Again, that precedes critical race theory. I would suggest that if your system is not educating the whole child, it's not educating the child at all. Sure. If all you're focusing on is the academics, that's not a quality education, right? And I'm talking about all students, right? Um, and so folks want to take these words and say, I don't agree with this for whatever my personal reasons or my political reasons and try to stop us doing the work. And our, our board and our staff, we're solid on this. We're not going to let those red herring arguments get in the way of us serving the diverse needs of every student in our district, all 18,000. Right. There, there was a recent op-ed uh, that uh, somehow linked critical race theory to uh, all what we're doing in the uh, Newport Mesa School District that kind of stemmed from, it was before your time but not before our mm -hmm. time, stemmed from this party uh, for Newport Harbor students where uh, they had a swastika yeah. in red solo cup swastika. You, I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Yeah. And out of that came, um, uh, I think it's, what is it called? It's the Human Relations Com Committee yeah. Yeah. That, that, that developed a curriculum that's now being taught. Um, okay, so let's talk about that and yeah. let's, let's, let's you know, address this issue head on and, yeah. and say, it, you know, the, is there any connection or not yeah. between critical race theory and the curriculum that was developed in response to that incident. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny too, because you're, you're in the world where mm -hmm. this affects you, whether or not this is the issue coming to you at your meetings, these types of things do. And we all uh, spoke, when that happened, when the Red, Red Solo Cup yeah. thing happened, the that happened right before a council meeting, and the council, all council members were appalled. We all yeah. took a position. Sure. Mm -hmm. and, and I will say something too about that is, I know you've got some superstars in your in in, in your district. Yeah. Sean Bolton is an absolute superstar. <laughs> that guy, yeah. right? I mean, he he really stepped up and yeah. did a wonderful job. Yeah. He's the pr principal of Newport Har Harbor. Right. And uh, anyway, an, yeah. an, 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 enough about him. But I mean, no, no, he he's, really he's great. He, he was texting me last night. I started my morning with Sean on, yeah. on, on, on our phones. Uh, two of our teams won semifinals in the CDF, and so we're making plans this weekend to go watch the finals. But I would say this, um, op-eds, because they're in, in print, aren't necessarily true. Just because it's printed doesn't make it true. And I said that earlier about our students and the challenge they have of verifying what's accurate. Just because it's in print doesn't mean it's true. What the person actually said was that uh, in response to that incident, that committee in the district brought in someone's due uh, implicit bias training, mm -hmm. and it was the Anti-Defamation League, and that their curriculum, when this group looked at it, they decided, this small group, that it was CRT. I, I would argue and say, respectfully, I, I, I don't agree, that's their right if they want to assign it. But it was never district curriculum. We didn't develop the curriculum. It was taught by someone else, and you know, people have a lot of concerns. Um, this small group did with implicit bias training and I scratched my head a bit because if we can't admit we have implicit bias we're in a tough spot. Of course we have bias. Of course. I have implicit bias. I have explicit bias about mm -hmm. lots of things. And it and it's it's not all uh, implicit bias doesn't always have to be racial oh, bias. I, I mean don't. like what I see for example I mean and this has nothing to do with race but like people in government have 
a bias yeah. because they look through the word world and they've got a million acronyms. And when I first came in, I had no experience with government. I'm mm -hmm. sure, Manuel, you had that same experience. You go in and these folks are talking to you and I don't understand a word they're saying, that's, but yeah. they all understand each other. Yeah. And that's a form of bias. You bet. I was driving behind a, a Ferrari, which didn't happen a lot in Sacramento, mind you. It happens a lot more mm -hmm. here. And they were in the fast lane going slower than the speed limit. And I was like, how dare you? And what's, <laughs> what's my bias? You're in a Ferrari. You should be driving fast. Yeah. Because fast cars only go fast. And I'm sitting there going, that's not true, Wes. Right. You, you could drive a fast car slowly. Yeah. You can, <laughs> that actually can happen. And guess what does all over the world every day? So anyway, getting back. Yeah. To so so there, and you you nailed it with implicit yeah. bias. So they were they were concerned about the content of the Anti Defamation League, which which isn't our curriculum, and and I would still contend that it wasn't CRT. It might have mentioned words like equity and discrimination, but again, we, we can't let people take hostage uh, the English language. Yeah. And words like equity and diversity and inclusion preceded CRT, and they are not CRT. Does CRT talk about these things in some of those lessons? Perhaps, um, but that doesn't make them CRT, right? Um, here's an interesting conversation that I had with uh, a resident who I've, I've really, I really respect. Um, very, very smart, very articulate, very passionate about his conservative values. And, and we were talking about this issue and he said some things. I said, look, what, give me your, your biggest concern. And he said, uh, our history in America has warts. If we're saying it doesn't, we're deceiving ourselves and our families. Right. right? But let's not only focus on the warts. We must also focus on the successes. We've done amazing things in this country. So our teaching and curriculum in the United States shouldn't just talk about the words. It should also talk about the successes. And we should never teach a student to feel guilty or ashamed of their race. And I said, I could guarantee that. Yes. Uh, that, mm -hmm. see, that's a conversation we can have. We can, we can guarantee that in this district, we're going to have a curriculum that is representative and accurate. It's a curriculum of mirrors and windows. In other words, with the windows, we're able to see the experience of others. We're able to see how other people navigated this, this, this great history uh, in which we're involved, right? Because it's still ongoing. Sure. We can see how others responded, their experiences, uh, their struggles, their successes, right? We also see ourselves reflected in that history. Our history is a diverse history, mm -hmm. right? That is its power. And so our curriculum will be accurate. It will be full of mirrors and windows, right? And, and, and it will not teach students to feel guilty or ashamed of who they are, what they look like, where they came from, what, what party they're affiliated with, never. And if people, if people like this individual could, could, could listen to that and say, okay, I can live with that, we'd be in a great place. The challenge is, as we said a minute ago, some folks want to take certain words and say, these words are CRT, and it just um, it, it just could get in the way of uh, meeting the diverse needs of 18,000 students, but it's my job not to let it. So we'll continue to have the dialogue and have conversations about it, 
Um, and, and I would tell you and all your listeners that what I just said is true. Uh, that's what we're going to do, meet the needs of all students. It's going to be a representative and accurate curriculum, and we're not going to teach kids uh, that they should be ashamed or guilty about who they are ever. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. Thank you for addressing that. That's great. So soon our podcast will be history and uh, because we, we need to wrap it up. Yeah. But Manuel, do you have any final thoughts or any questions for, for Wes? Just one final question. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents may, may have concerns going to our public schools in Costa Mesa. Um, what is something you would tell those parents who are deciding what path to put their kids on? Well, I, I said this a minute ago. This is what I would say. It's your, it's your call as a parent. I, I respect your right to choose the system for your students. Our job, though, in the Newport Mesa Unified School District is to have the highest quality education system available to all of our residents and students. Right? Uh, that we have to be the highest quality. And if someone chooses to go to something else, um, then, then that's their choice. And it's okay. There are some things that we can't do. I've got a friend in Newport Beach that I've known for a lot of years. Uh, he told me when I got the job, you have some of the best schools in both communities in the state. He also works in education. Mm -hmm. But just so you know, my daughters don't go to your school district. He goes, and here's why. Um, they need small classrooms. They, they struggle with anxiety. And they want to talk about God. Mm -hmm. they, they want a religious, a Christian mm -hmm. education. And that's not something public education can provide by statute, right? Mm -hmm. So he chooses it for that reason. I, that's, a, that's an appropriate choice for him. But if someone's choosing it because the quality isn't where it needs to be, then that's on us. We have to improve that, uh, that quality, again, so that every student gets what they need, when they need it, where they need it, right? No excuses, no blaming students. That's what we're about. Um, and then let, let parents choose what's best for them. That's good, that's good, yeah. I mean, did we cover in this podcast, because I really want, I think we did implicitly, but I don't think we've ever really d discussed it, is this whole Newport versus Costa Mesa uh, uh, concern that some Costa Mesa parents have, that Newport is being treated uh, with, is not, is not getting the, the, the facilities or the attention or the resources. Uh, uh, Costa Mesa is not getting that to the extent Newport is. Yeah. I want to make sure we, we got to cover that straight yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, so have I heard some of that since I've been here in six months? Sure. And I, I suspect some of it is, is true concern about what each student is getting, uh, concern of theirs, concern of their families. I also think it's a part of, um, you know, the story. Uh, again, we create these dichotomies to force people into sides these days. Polarization. Uh, is the new norm, which is tragic for America, tragic for public education. And so what I have to do is navigate that and make sure that uh, I, can, I can debunk that myth, right? 18,000 students, they all have needs. They all have uh, a right to high quality education. Uh, I've got to meet those needs and they look different for each student and for each community and for each school. So my job is to work with our team on behalf of our board to meet all of those needs and to care about each of the communities and those needs they have. Follow me? And so when we do that, we're identifying, that oh, that, that person got X because they needed X. Mm -hmm. You got Y because you needed Y. She's going to get X 
Y and Z because she needed all three, mm. right? That's what we're going to do in the system. And then people will say, hey, look, this district cares about my family, my student, in all of our communities. And that's, that's the burden that I have. But I would say this. I see more similarity than I do difference in our communities. Uh, I've, I've been here with you folks, and I've heard you talk about um, all students, right? You and I have had that mm -hmm. conversation. We talk about Newport Harbor. It's a school with both. Right. Right? And, and they feel included, and they have great leadership. They've got great teachers, right? That's what it's about. See, Newport Harbor is really what we're about, right? Both coming together and serving. I see people in those meetings in Newport Beach um, saying, we really care about all students. What can we do to help all students? Is there something our foundation can do to help a school that doesn't have as much? That's come up multiple times this year. So what I'm seeing, the evidence I'm seeing is we're more similar than we are different. And I'll tell you when people ask me, why do you love being where you are? Because I see students that are amazing. I see, I see staff that care deeply and want to be here, right? Classified certificate of leadership. And then I see communities with people that are more than just words, their actions, saying we care about our students, we care about public education, we value it, we're going to support it. And we don't care which community we're going to support it. That's what I see more than the other. Mm -hmm. But for the other, I have to continue to make sure that we're meeting the needs of all students. We do that, this won't be a conversation anyone will have. That's good. Well, I just want to say, Wes, this is, so uh, I mentioned Lorianne Farrell-Harrison, and when the city council hired Lorianne, I, I, I do believe that that was the most important and consequential vote that we ever took, and I'm very pleased, like extremely pleased, three years later. Mm. And I, I just want to say thank you to the uh, school board, the, the trustees of the Newport Mesa School Board for hiring you. Mm. And I, I spoke with one of them yesterday, and they and this, uh, I guess I could say, they're all women, right? I can say she said, <laughs> I can use pronouns here, and yeah, I'm not, yeah, gonna, I'm not yeah. gonna rat any of them no, out. No, that's you right. Know, it could be any of them. We're no closer to knowing which one it was. And I, ta and I, ta I talked to all of them, just so you know, and, and so that's not, but this one particular uh, trustee said, when you uh, took over, it was like the skies parted. It's like their son again at, at Newport Mesa uh, uh, Unified School District. Mm. So you should know that that's the feedback you're getting. And I'm really glad that you've been here. And so I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, I, know, I know that the people are going to really like this, I think, yeah. to hear from you. So thank you very much. Do you have any parting shots? Really don't. Thank you for being here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that closes out part two of Costa Mesa Now's episode on education with Councilmember Manuel Chavez and Superintendent Dr. Wesley Smith. I'm Mayor John Stevens, and until next time, thank you for joining us on Costa Mesa Now.